We're tempted to, to run after him as we see fit. But the Bible says don't, don't do that. Why? Well, Proverbs 14, 12. And Margaret's going to be trying to keep up with me. Good luck to you, Margaret, back there. With the verses here, so if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along here. Most of the day will be spent in John chapter 13, verses 31 through chapter 14. I think 17 is where we end. But The reason we shouldn't determine our way is there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. If that isn't enough, that's the wisdom literature of of, uh, Proverbs. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And not to leave the New Testament out, Paul throws in in Romans 3, as it is written, listen to this, this is us. This is our way. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. There is, all have turned away. They have become together worthless. Together become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one, he says again. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of the viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and mercy, misery, mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, so much for figuring things out on our own, huh? I mean, if you're tempted after that to say, no, no, John, that ain't me. May the Spirit of God convict you and and make you realize that, yeah, that, that is us. Apart from Jesus and the life that his spirit gives so that we know the Father and can love the Father and one day be with the Father, that is us. This morning, I want to talk about the way. And you've got to understand, yesterday morning at 10 a.m., I'm, I'm typing on my computer because I, I, I do like to manuscript things out. And uh, God knows... <laughs> Poor Margaret's going to find out I don't follow it, but that's all right. And I'm typing this sermon out, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, Saturday. And what do I hear on the door? Boop, 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 boop. Anybody want to take a guess who it is? You know. Who is it? Jehovah Witnesses. I'm just telling you. I'm studying a passage that, where Jesus is claiming to be the Father, and the Father is claiming to be Jesus, and two Jehovah Witnesses come knocking on my door. That's funny. <laughs> so I was a little bit excited. I was. I, I was honestly excited. And, and Jan will tell you, I, I sprang up from the couch, and, and I, I ran over to the door, and I opened it. And here are these two little ladies. One, one's older, one's younger. The older lady's named Diane. And, and uh, well, we began a discussion. And I thought, well, how do I, how do I introduce this to her? She asked this question. What do you see as the problem today in our world? Nice conversation opener, you know, starter. I responded with, well, everybody seems to have their own way of doing, thinking, and believing. She smiles at me and she goes, well, we have come to share the truth of God's word with you. She's as excited as I am. Little does she know what she's walking into, but... (laughs) 
Now, at this point, Satan tried to use Daisy, our dog, to interfere with our impromptu discipleship class. And I asked Dan if they wouldn't mind... Uh, <laughs> I asked Diane if they wouldn't mind talking out in the courtyard away from the nine-and-a-half-pound terror just inside our door. She's yawning. <laughs> that dog wouldn't harm anything. In fact, give the real picture of Daisy. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You don't have a man card. <laughs> that's right, Jan has it. <laughs> Jan said, you better tell him that's Ari's dog. <laughs> You can see that dog must be pretty submissive to sit there in that tutu, I tell you. <laughs> anyway, we, we head outside, and, and, uh, and after some small talk, I asked her where she was from, how long she had, she had known Jehovah, she said since 1974. And, and then I, I decided, well, I'm just going to cut to the chase and ask a question. But I asked the question, I never intended them to answer it, never. I said... So what's the motive for doing this? What's the motive for, for you and I standing around here talking about Jehovah this morning? And she, she was going to start something, I know, but I, I just stated right away, I said, it's love. It's love. We come here to talk about Jehovah because of love. If we have not love, it doesn't matter what we talk about. It's just empty. It's nothing. Well, I went on. And I want you to know what I said next, I said with a, a gentleness and a softness. And no matter how these words come out, I assure you, I ask God for his love when I talk to them. I went on and I said, even the wrath, <laughs> even the wrath he will pour out upon those that will one day stand before him proclaiming, Lord, Lord, didn't we go door to door telling people about Jehovah? He will look at them and say, away from me. You never knew my son. You never knew me. Now, you can imagine the conversation just goes. <laughs> I mean, I, I basically told him that if you don't know the son, you don't know the father. If you don't know the father, you don't know the son. And all that's left is the loving wrath of God. And you think, wait a minute, how can wrath be loving? Well, I think you'll see by the end of this message. I asked them this question at the end of that statement. Why don't you believe that Jesus is God? Why don't you believe that Jesus is God? At the time I asked them, um, she just looked back at me, the older one, Diane, and she said, because that's not what our Bible says. That's not what our Bible says. Some of you might say, well, that's because they got a faulty translation. I tell you the truth, the only translation that works is the one that translates into your life by the grace of God. Amen. But her Bible didn't say that, and so they didn't believe it. And, well, <laughs> she started packing her things up, and I could see that our little discipleship class was coming to a quick end. I walked them to the gate, and I said, Jesus is the way to the Father. He's not just an example to be followed. He is Jehovah come down in the flesh. Goodbye, ladies. And that was the end of our meeting. Now, I thought of that because I thought of us and how many of us are doing the same thing right now. Yeah, we're not Jehovah Witnesses and we don't go door to door and, and say that Jesus isn't God, but there's this, there's this thing in our head we can't get 
through our heads that God, very God, came down to earth. God came to earth. Not, not some other God, the only God came to earth. If Jesus isn't God come down from heaven, we're in a world of hurt. If he is not actually the Father God come in the flesh as the Son, we're doomed. I think of them and us as we go to our Father in prayer this morning. And I pray, I pray, God knows this is true, that the way to the Father is found in his Son by the Spirit this morning. You can't know Jesus. You can't know the Father apart from the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who makes known the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the person who brings us to the Father. He's not a path to be followed. He's a person to be trusted. That path to be followed is going to lead you to knocking on doors and doing all kinds of stuff to measure up. Would you join me, though, as we ask God to show us by his Spirit this morning the way of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know I do pray that your love was shared in the conversation yesterday as well as this morning as we, we hear from your word. Forgive us, Lord, for I know that we have no love in and of ourselves. We look to you for that love, just as we look to you for forgiveness. God, in your mercy, grant us your love in the way that is Jesus Christ in the power of your Spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. The way. Jesus begins what I call his see you later speech. There is no farewell with Jesus because he says, I'm coming back. All right? So this is his see you later speech. It starts in John chapter 13, verse 31. He's just set Judas out. He's just ordered Judas to go out. If you check it out, it's kind of, kind of ironic. He, he looks at Judas and says, what thou doest, doest quickly. And Judas runs out to commit the evil that is in his heart that Satan has put there. Now, verse 31 says, When he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. There's a lot of glory going on in there. Suffice to say this, we could spend all day just on that, those two verses, but we're not going to. Suffice to say this, the Father and Son are about to display the greatest, most gracious act of love the world has ever seen and ever will see. Indeed, no greater glorification is ever going to take place. And we see this picture of the unity of the Father and Son, and it, that, that unity has even started to convince some in that time that, whoa, Jesus must be very God come from heaven. Jesus is beginning to reveal the way of God and to God. He's beginning to reveal himself and who he is. Now, ironically, as Jesus is proclaiming this unity and, and this glorification that goes back and forth between him and the Father, there's a separation that's about to take place. We read in John 13, 33, my children... My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Interestingly, he says, my children, or little children. 
That's kind of a father term there. What's he throwing that out there for? I mean, is he our brother? Is he your father? Why are we his children now? He'll speak more to it later. If we are his children, Jesus speaks to us. But he speaks to us in a way that we can only hear if he's the one providing the hearing. Look what he says here. The second half of verse 33. This is the one that causes me and, and the disciples uh, some concern. Where I am going, you cannot come. I don't know about you. That would cause me some problems. Where would Jesus go that we could not come? I mean, my heart tells me it's the experience of the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, that are soon to come. And I believe the Spirit testifies that that indeed is what, what's happening here. Jesus is going to do his work on the cross, and we can't do that. Jesus goes on in verse 34 of John chapter 13 and says, A new command I give you, love one another. Now, he finishes with, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You gotta, what's the connection here? Wait a minute. Where I am going, you cannot come. And now he's talking about love. I mean, I want to back the truck up and, and, wait, wait, what do you mean we can't come? What's going on there? But Jesus finds it important enough to keep going, and he states, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. So how did Jesus love? Well, you know, he he lived a sinless life, right? Lived a sinless life. He carried out all of God's words to us. You know, think about it. He would die for our sins that we would forever be cursed in. even though he never sinned. Can you imagine if this this plan of redemption for God wasn't present, we would be stuck in these bodies, with these minds, with these hearts, for all of eternity. I don't know about you, I don't look forward to that. (laughs) To live an eternal life of sinfulness apart from God, not knowing. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have sin anymore. He cleanses our sin, and one day he says there will be no more sin. His love was a love that lays itself down for others who have no love of their own. Dan said it last week. Jesus first loved us. And now we see this love demonstrated where he lays down his life for a bunch of disciples who have no clue who he is and what he's doing, and for a bunch of people who are the same, us. How did he love us? His love also conquered the grave. I love this part. I love this part. The grave that we could never return from would ever for, forever be destroyed because Jesus would rise again. Do you all know how Jesus rose again? My mom used to say this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Yeah, we'll get to the way. He's the way too. I am the resurrection. You know what that means? To be resurrected is to take something that's dead and give it life. Jesus says, I'm that guy. You think about it, at the very beginning of the Bible, God takes a bunch of dirt and fashions it together and he blows life into it and bam. Jesus says, he's doing that. He's going to recreate us, make us all new. And he started in our hearts and minds by faith that comes through grace. Jesus had the power to raise his life and ours. He does say in John, the same book we're in, I am the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he's not going to raise us like we are now. We're going to be perfected, and we're going to understand, and we're going to follow correctly. Lastly, he demonstrated his love and showed us what his love was like because he spoke the true word of the Father. He lived out the good and perfect will of the Father in everything he did, everything he said, and everything he thought. He was God, come to earth, the Son of Man. That's what Jesus' love looks like. That's what his way looks like. Consequently, Jesus says in the next verse, John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is, if we loved as he loved. Now, people know we're Christians how we treat other people, how we love them. I mean, whether it's our families, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's co-workers, whether it's people at this church who may be one and the same that I just mentioned, or whether it's those two little old ladies that came to my door yesterday, they and we need to experience that kind of love of Jesus. Jesus said that's how we're supposed to love. That's what he's driving at right now. He's saying, yeah, you can't come with me. I'm, I'm going to do something right now. But what you will do is the same thing that I've been doing. And he says to a greater extent later on. This is the interesting thing about yesterday's exchange with those ladies um, we both expressed a separation from the Father caused by holding a certain view of the Son. They said that I didn't know Jehovah because I ascribed deity to Jesus Christ. And I said, you know not the Father because Jesus says he's one and the same and you know not Jesus. You could see we were kind of stuck. We weren't going to go anywhere unless God himself stepped in and did something. And the same is true for any of us. We're not going to understand this apart from God stepping in and saying, believe. At any rate, back to the text. Peter's not happy about Jesus going. Look at the verse here in John 13, 36. The end of it, he says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? He questions him. Now, listen, I got to agree with Peter on this one. I understand what he's getting at. If Jesus was going somewhere, I could see why Peter and the boys would want to be close to him. Could you? I mean, come on, man. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. <laughs> Not being next to Jesus after hanging out with him for three years and seeing the stuff he did and hearing the things that were about to take place in the way of betrayal and death. Yeah, I don't know about you. I'd be just a little concerned that I wasn't going to be right next to Jesus. Jesus replies at the end of that verse, where I am going you cannot follow, but you will follow later. He doesn't even answer Peter's question of where. He simply tells him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. But he says this at the end, but you will follow later. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm glad that he says that for a couple of reasons. First, aren't you glad he said to Peter, you will follow me later? Come on, man. If he had said, yeah, I'm, I'm going away, you ain't going to see me no more. I, <laughs> wow. But he says, you'll follow me later. 
But I'm grateful for a second reason. You see, where Jesus was going, we could never go. Jesus went to the cross in a way that none of us ever could. He alone was righteous. He alone was sinless, blameless, pure, loving. We couldn't go to the cross. Only Jesus could. Jesus was able to go where we could never follow. Jesus went to the cross for you and I. <laughs> you think, well, does this ease Peter's mind? Does this, does this ease our mind? Look at Peter in the next verse here in 37. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? Now he's not interested in the where anymore. Now he wants to know why can't I follow you? Why well, kind of gave it away why I can't follow you, why we can't follow him. But Peter says something at the end of this. Listen, he goes, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Whoa. I don't, I don't know why Peter says that. Is he trying to impress Jesus with his courage so that he can come along and help? <laughs> Neither we nor Peter contribute anything to the cross but sin. That's why Jesus went alone, because there was no other one worthy, no one else that could do it. Jesus says in John 13, verse 38, will you really lay down your life for me? I don't know Jesus' tone on this. I can't imagine him being condescending and, and sarcastic and mean. I mean, he knows bad things are about to take place. I, I just know that when Jesus spoke, he said it in a way that showed love and truth. And he turns to Peter and he says to him, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Don't lose this. That rooster crowed three times for all of us. That wasn't just Peter. If you think, yeah, I'd never do something like that, you've missed the point. We are Jesus' disciples we are the ones who say, oh, we'll lay down our life for you. The rooster crowed. Who among us has not boasted like Peter only to crumble, defeated when your fleshly efforts fail? However, Peter's boast and, and the subsequent rebuke by Jesus, oh, they remind me of God's great love and mercy. He extends forgiveness towards us, and I thank God for that. Because he did remind us that I will come for you later. Look what Jesus heads from, look what Jesus says as he heads from here. In John 14, 1, he goes immediately into, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Jesus just comes out of a passage where he told Peter, You're gonna forsake me three times. You're gonna disown me three times, the rooster's gonna crow. Will you really lay down your life for me? And now he tells Peter, Don't let your heart be troubled. Would your heart be troubled? <laughs> yeah. The man you've traveled with three and a half years who have done these amazing things now looks at you and says, you're going to disown me three times. Will you really lay your life down for me? But Jesus says right after that, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. It's an interesting thing to say. How can Jesus say trust in God and also in me I mean, come on. We either going to trust in God or who are we going to trust in? 
Why is he adding this me thing in here? In fact, come to think of it, in John 8, 58, he says, I tell you the truth. I think I didn't put it up there for you, Margaret. He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. I shared that with those ladies yesterday. I did. They're big on that I am stuff. Big on it. I got to tell you that (laughs) I shared it with them, the thought, the passage, and I do pray that God grants the increase if there was any seed planted or if there was any seed that it was watered. My desire was not to point out to them, you're so wrong. My desire was to point out to them that one, we're so wrong and Jesus is so right. Like I told the ladies, the Jews understood what he was saying, what Jesus was saying. Because we find in the next recorded verse of John chapter 8, verse 59, and they picked up stones to stone him. That's what Jewish people did to people who claimed to be God. The problem was, Jesus was God. Now Jesus goes on in John 14, 2, and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, there's a lot to say, I guess, about the many rooms and and that, but I just got to say, whatever this house looked like, it holds the presence of Jesus and the Father. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Do you need a room? I I don't quite know what that means. But I just know that's the presence of the Father and the Son. And that's where the disciples want to be. And that's the hope of every grace believer that ever has been and ever will be. But what does it mean for Jesus to prepare a place for us, for the disciples? My understanding, my understanding is Jesus is going to the cross, the grave, to glory. And he is currently sitting at the right hand of our Father, interceding for all believers until he comes again. That's what I think what he meant by preparing. That's what I think. I believe the New Testament confirms it. I believe John confirms it. I believe the prophets confirm it. It's all there. And he goes on in verse 3 of John chapter 14. He says, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Hallelujah. After the preparations have been made, he again promises to come back for all his children of grace that make up the bride of Christ. We forget that sometimes. We think of ourselves as individuals rather than a community that's being made into the bride of Christ. Jesus says in in John 14 of John chapter 4, or John chapter 14, verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. After he said all that about rooms and preparation, he says, you know the way. You know the way to the place where I am going. Well, that should clear things up. Nope. This provokes a question now from Thomas. John 14, 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Again, let me ask you, put yourself in Thomas' sandals. (laughs) Wear his robe for just a little bit. 
This is the one that's led them for three years, who's shown them miracles. Thomas seems to be saying, can't you just keep walking with us so we know for sure the way? That's if he was from Minnesota. So we know for sure the way? (laughs) But Thomas, just like Peter, missed it when Jesus said, I will come back and take you to be with me. How many of us forget the same thing when our life goes sideways? We don't remember. We're not much different. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't give up on his disciples or us. Look at how Jesus answers Thomas in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way. (laughs) I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Though the disciples have walked with Jesus, they don't know yet. They don't know yet just who he is. If this doesn't point to the desperate condition of our humanity, I don't know what does. None of us has lived and walked with Jesus at the time he was there leading up to the cross. They did. And ironically, though, the disciples, they walked with him. They did not recognize Jesus as the way to the Father. Jesus goes on in verse 7 of John 14 to say, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And let me be clear here. This is the part that made me go, when I was talking to those ladies. Jesus plainly says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. The opposite goes, if you really knew the Father, you'd know Jesus as well. Jesus is saying these words to his disciples and they don't have a clue. Think about it. If Jesus is speaking to you face to face and you still don't get it, then what is the hope of me standing up here or talking to those ladies yesterday? How can you possibly receive anything from any of this? I'm not Jesus. If the story ended there, I'd be be a bit worried, but thankfully it doesn't. Thank God Jesus declares who sees our Father. Look with me in John chapter 14, the end of verse 7. Jesus says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's not saying, you know, you might. He's saying, from now on, you do know him. Take this from here. To believe on God, God has to pronounce in your life that, yeah, you believe. God has to pronounce that. All the confessions in the world throughout the history of the church mean nothing apart from God moving in and through you to utter the truth of his word, the truth of his confession. Never will I leave them nor forsake them. You think this would comfort our disciples? It would comfort us. Jesus says the disciples know and see the Father, and I'm glad He said that because it doesn't look like the disciples are getting it. Look at the next verse where Philip responds with a question. Now you got Peter, you got Thomas, now you got Philip. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. What Jesus says next is big, very big. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been been among you for such a long time, 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, excuse me, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus claims, right there for us all to see, that it is the Father living in him. Whose life is in Jesus? The Father. Whose words are in Jesus? The Father. Who's working? The Father. Why do the disciples, why do we, still not see Jesus for who he is? Well, this is where we end. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus is going to tell us the truth. And listen to this glorious truth. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. That's the way of love we talked about earlier. We will be about the same things that he was about. Why? Because the Father lives in us. He says, you will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then he goes into the love thing again. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Then verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. You see that little disconnect in there? That little moment where where Jesus isn't walking alongside of them, that little moment where he says, you can't follow, that little moment when, when Peter says, but I want to go with you, that moment when, when Philip says, don't, don't, don't leave us here. That all needed to be done so that we might truly believe. Jesus, once completing his work on that cross, gave us the Holy Spirit. Does anybody want to fathom a guess on what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. He brings life to the words that Jesus said. Remember those words? He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is promising that all his believers, all his children will see and know the Father from now on. That from now on he's talking about is when the Spirit of God comes into the life and bam, you live. You live. You don't live in in terror of maniacs who tread into schools. What is that? You don't live in the garbage of of freeway traffic where people get mad at you because you're too fast, you're too slow. You didn't signal, you don't drive the right car. You don't live in any of this garbage because Jesus says your life is crucified. That death I talked about, when we come to know the Father, our life is buried. We're going to sing that song in just a few moments here. Before the throne of God, our life is buried in death. And then in the baptism of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, He lifts us up and He says, see, believe. And so we do. Brothers and sisters, the way 
that is Jesus Christ, is to see the Father, to know the Father, and to love the Father. Not because you figured it out, but because you threw up your hands and you said, I can't see him apart from you, God. The Spirit of God moved in and through my life. That's what this world needs to hear from those of us who believe. Whether it's ladies coming knocking on your door, whether it's your kids, they need to know that God has given his spirit through Jesus Christ that we might know the way to the Father. And brothers and sisters, as we close, the way to the Father is not a path that is tread by fleshly feet. It's a faith that is put in a person who was God, who is God, who will be God. As we close in prayer, would you ask God, show me. Show me, Jesus. Show me that I might live the life that you have and let this go. Let's pray. God, I, I know in a message that, that lasts 30 minutes that we can barely listen for 30 seconds. But Lord, you do amazing stuff. Even though in our ADD generation where 30 seconds is beyond what we can handle, you give us eternity. You love us dearly. You loved us so dearly that you showed us the way of love. That was Jesus. You not only showed us the way of love, but you promised to send your spirit and your way would live in us. Lord, you not only promised to live your way through us, but you promised that you yourself, Jesus, the spirit, would lead us to you, Father. God, I, I know these are humble words that <laughs> they mean nothing apart from you. But I believe. I believe that before your throne, you sit at the right hand of God. You are God of very God. You came. You died. You were resurrected. And you will come again. May your people believe. May we believe by the power of your spirit. God, it's not your, it's not our word, it's yours. Teach us to live in the promise that is Jesus Christ. Be with your people. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.